Today we are going old school. We, we're throwing it back a bit. And uh, by old school, I'm not just saying just a few years back to cassette tapes. Uh, I'm not saying going old school back to when it was Mnet open time and when MTV actually played music and not just weird reality shows. I'm throwing it back to times even before Titanic was just a movie on the big screen that you were waiting to go watch with your girlfriend at the time. No, I'm going way, way back. 595 BC, and we're going to the nation of Babylon. If you want to read in your scriptures and the Bible with us, we're going to be out of Daniel chapter 3 today. A phenomenal narrative, but something that takes place in real time, 595 BC, at the height of Babylon's political and military power. This Babylon is in what was known, what now is known as present-day Iraq. Babylon was just this incredible marauding nation that just exercised its brute force in conquering kingdoms and nations around it. And where we engage with the story in Daniel chapter 3, it opens up with the king of this nation called Nebuchadnezzar. And he is flexing his muscles in more ways than one as he is trying to gain attention to himself and get the nations that have been conquered to know that he is king and he is their, their source of, of provision. He is the one that they need to be bowing to at this time. So what Nebuchadnezzar does is he builds this massive statue of himself, entirely made out of gold. I don't know, this guy, let me say, this is the sort of guy who is somewhat self-obsessed. In our present day, if he had access to Instagram, he's that guy whose personality profile, his profile just has photos of himself in various poses with inspirational quotes underneath. Let's just say, put it quick aside, let's not do that, guys. If you're going to put a selfie of yourself, let's keep the scriptures away from that. Just a helpful hint today. But that's the type of guy he is. I can imagine the guy who probably didn't get enough praise when he was at junior school because he needs to compensate a little bit now with a massive statue towards himself. And the end of this statue, which was the, 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 the sky rise of the day, all the homes were built at a low level. So this was something that you would be able to see on the horizon and would catch everybody's attention. But he, he put in place this law, this edict, that when the music would start to play, and I don't know what type of music it was, if it was, if it was if hip-hop, rap, if it was rock and roll, I'm not too sure what Babylon was into at that time. But as the music started to play, everybody in the nation, was supposed to drop down on its knees and bow before the statue in worship and devotion. This is a, a crazy idea, notion, this moment. But actually, it's something we can think about. Go, how, how, how quaint, how old, how old school, how 5-9 BC of them. But I want to tell you that this is not just something that happened. It's something that always has happened and still happens to this day. Why? Because it wasn't just a, a wild king with a big ego at play. There was a spirit, an underwriting spirit of the enemy at work. Throw it back even further, 1,500 years before that, we find in Genesis 10 and 11, a man named Nimrod. Now, if you're pregnant and think of a name for your child, Nimrod, don't do it. Don't do it. You're setting him up for defeat. Nimrod is not a great name, um, but a good shout out to any Nimrods watching today. But this man named Nimrod in Genesis 10 and 11, he built something called the Tower of Babel. And it takes place in the same place that Babylon would be for 1,500 years later. And they build a tower themselves showing man's might and supremacy and showing that they can be God unto themselves. And that spirit of play of trying to say, actually, look at us, look at our power and, and forcing the world around to come in subservience to that was a play in Genesis 10 and 11. Fast forward 1,500 years to Babylon, same spirits at play. 
Fast forward a little bit later when Jesus comes to earth in Luke chapter 4. Mark preached a phenomenal word last week and the temptations of Jesus when the, spirit, when, the, when the enemy takes Jesus up to a high place and says, Jesus, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all the nations of the earth that you see around you. It's the same spirit of play, the same spirit of Babylon that rises itself up to be God and calls everything else to bow in its wake. And that spirit's at play. And I want to say in this moment that, that I believe, if I'm not wanting to super spiritualize this, this season we're in, but I want to tell you the spirit of Babylon is still at play and is at play in your life and my life demanding that we bow and give allegiance to another, that we bow to the pressures, we bow to the circumstances, we bow to the fear, we bow to the anxiety, we bow to the temptation of the day around us and we give our allegiance to another. So with that as a premise, today I want to preach out of Daniel chapter 3, a sermon entitled, There's Another in the Fire, but the, the caption, the essence of it, what I want to press into our hearts is, how do we stand when everything around us is compelling us to bow? How do we have a faith that stands when everything around us seems to be forcing us to bow? So with that in mind, why don't we pray and get ready for the Spirit of the living God to change our hearts forever. Father, we thank you in this moment as we gather around your word and around the spirit of the living God, I pray come and fill our hearts, flood our souls with hope and courage and joy so that we would be able to know you. We'll be able to see you clearly. I pray that scales would fall off our eyes today so that we would be able to know what you are doing and how we are supposed to follow you as Christians in this day and age so that we can stand when everything else around us Seems like it's about a bow. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, three things that will help us stand when everything is demanding we bow. Number one, and I would love us to, to preach this together. Number one, the first point will come on the screen below me is you are called. We have to know that we are called. So why don't you take a moment, type it in the chat, Facebook Live, Instagram, LifeChangeChurch.tv. Don't write it right there. Right there. Say, I am called. We need to preach this to ourselves to believe it because this is spiritual warfare that we're doing in this moment. I am called. You see, context of the story, the statue is built, the music plays, the whole nation starts to bow. Everyone starts to bow except for three young men. We might know them today as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three young men cause a bit of a stir in the political sphere of Nebuchadnezzar and his, and his cronies. And they start to get anxious. But uh, if you want to know a little bit of background to these three young men, we just go back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. And we are told in the story that these three guys, along with the nation of Israel, have been taken into exile. They are, they've been laid captive of this nation of Babylon as Nebuchadnezzar and his, his military forces came over into Jerusalem, ransacked the city, destroyed the walls, destroyed the temple, stole all the gold from outside of the temple and bound these people hand and foot and led them into captivity into Babylon. And, and I can imagine for these three young guys, being, going into Babylon, where they, when they got there, the first thing that happened to them, they were emasculated, they became eunuchs, they, they were renamed, they were given different names, and then they also were forced to become vegetarians. I know, shock horror, in a different land, serving a different king. This was not the plan of their life. This is not what they woke up thinking, this is what I love to do, the, the, the go forward of my life. And even as I just see from this point, I want to ask the question, what do we do when life doesn't go the way we planned? What do we do when 2020 isn't going in the direction we first had in mind? 
For these three young guys, life was not the plan that they had for themselves. But they find themselves at that juncture here and now. And as they get to Babylon, I mentioned, after they arrived there, what happened in Babylon was they were renamed. As I mentioned, their names now in Daniel chapter 3 are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that wasn't always their names. Those were their Babylonian names, their captive names. And, and that's the ploy of the enemy. It's what he always does. The oldest trick in the book in historical context, the context of conquering kingdoms are always renaming the conquered. But in a spiritual sense, I want to tell you that's what the enemy always does. He always wants to rename us. He wants to call us by a different name. You see, because they know in Babylon and the enemy here and now today knows that if they can get us to believe, change the belief system about who we are and whose we are, he can change our behavior. Or if I can say it more colloquially, if the enemy can get us to forget our calling, it won't be long before we are falling. I know, I probably missed, I missed my, my future. I should have been a rapper. I know, I know. But it's true that if the enemy can get us to forget our calling, it won't be long until we are falling and bowing to another. And that's what Babylon is hoping for. Case in point, Shadrach's name before he came to Babylon was Hananiah. And Hananiah means, means awed by God. This was the name given to him, awed by God. He comes to Babylon, they rename him Shadrach, and Shadrach means fearful of God. The enemy tries to change the narrative of his life, tries to change the calling of his life, change from Hananiah to Shadrach. We keep going. Um, Meshach's name before he came to, to Babylon was Mishael, which means confident. Meshach, when he's renamed by the enemy, by the conquering kingdom, means ashamed or defeated. Changing, a total name change there, identity change. Abednego was known as Azariah. And Azariah meant at birth was named Azariah, meaning God is my helper. Abednego, as he was renamed, means slave of Nego. And Nego was, was a, a foreign god of oppression. You can see what the enemy does. The enemy does that. I want to say again, it's not that it happened, but it happens. This is what the enemy does. Maybe not in such overt ways as that, but in our days, it's much more insidious. It's much more dangerous because it's, it's covert. It's, it's hidden. And then we're sometimes not aware of what the enemy is doing. About 10 years ago or so, I arrived in Cape Town with a passion in my heart to preach the gospel and be part of this incredible church called Life Changes. And as the, the year started to unfold, um, it got to a moment where, where the discussions were actually wanted to ordain Gabe as a pastor, which I thought was great. It was never my big ambition, but, but I, I just want to preach the gospel. I want to be involved in what Jesus is doing. But if that's part of it, that's great. And that, but, but this is what the enemy does. The enemy comes in and sometimes uses the voice of man in and, and different shapes and forms. But the, the whispers amongst a few people uh, were, came that actually, no, no, you can't make him a pastor because he's unqualified. And that word stung because in real terms, potentially I was, but that word started to come across my path. And he's, he's unqualified. He, he's, he's not married. He's single. He doesn't go to Bible school. What is he going to teach us, this guy, this whippersnapper? He's unqualified. And the more I heard it, the more it got set in my heart. And I was like, maybe I am. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't even be in Cape Town. Maybe I should go back to Durban. I don't think this is where I should be because the enemy starts to rename. Though I knew I was called by God, I slowly start to forget that. And I started to bow my knee to another. And I'm so grateful that at that moment I picked up the phone and I remember in, in my distress, I phoned my dad in Durban, a God-fearing man. And uh, as, he, as I put all the, the pain in front of him and said, this is what people are saying and I, I should just pack up and leave. My dad said the simple question to me, who called you there? 
Who called you there? And the voice of my earthly father reminded me of the voice of a heavenly father. He says, I called you. I called you. And if I called you that, I sustained that. It reminded me that I was called, that I am called. And we have to remind our hearts that because the enemy, I believe, is going to be shouting that word in particular louder and louder still this time. Unqualified. The enemy is wanting to get that deep in our souls because he knows if he gets us there, then we're finished. Then we're done. He'll be shouting, you're unqualified. You, you've just lost your job and you're putting your CV out, but you're unqualified. You're unqualified to get that job that you desire. You're unqualified to be the provider in your home right now. You're unqualified to be a mom with two kids at home. You're unqualified to homeschool your kids. You're unqualified to be able to send them back. You're unqualified to make the right decision in this moment. You're unqualified. You're unqualified. The enemy would love to be shouting that. You're unqualified to sustain a marriage, to, to rectify a marriage, to help out in the relationship. You are unqualified. That's what the enemy will be shouting at this time because he knows the truth that if he can get us to forget our calling, it won't be long before we are falling. Leaning close right now because I want to put this statement of faith, this rule of faith deep in our hearts that we need to know that we know that we know that what we bow to will end up bound to. Let me say it again. What we bow to, we'll end up bound to. The enemy wants to name us by our past. The enemy wants to name us by where we've been and what we've done or what we haven't done. But the heavenly father wants to name you by your future. The enemy wants to name you where you've been. The father wants to name you where you're going. Let me give you some cases in point. In the Bible, we find a character in Genesis 12 named Abram which means exalted father. We know the story. He's, he's old in age, got no children. That means he's in every level. He's a failure, a failure, a failure. A man who's unqualified at the very essence of his life to be the father of our faith. God intersects his story and says to him, Abraham, I want to change your name from Abram to Abraham, from exalted father to father of many nations. It almost seems quite cruel what God's doing if you look at it in the natural. This is a man with no kids. His wife is barren. They've tried to have kids for years. They can't. And God says, I want to change your name, your identity, your future to father of many nations. This is a strange thing. Can you imagine for years after Abraham, it was from that point to the time he had his son was 25 years, 25 years arriving at parties going, they're saying, hey, what's your name? Hi, my name's Abraham. They're like, father of many nations. Do you have a minivan that's come around the corner with lots of kids? Where, where are your kids? And Abraham always had to know, no, it's not that, that's, I don't have kids yet, but it's, and everything would have been a temptation to go back to Abraham, but he had been renamed and had to live in that future, that calling, had to keep reminding himself, I am called. Another case in point, a man named Simon, a follower of Jesus, and, and he's a disciple who's known as a reckless man with a brash tongue and always putting his foot in his mouth. And in the middle of the story, Jesus says, I'm changing your name to Peter which means rock, steadfast one. And I can imagine as he says, Peter, I'm going to name you Peter, Cephas, rock. The, the, the rest of the gang start to chuckle going, him, rock, no ways. That is, that is just a, mis, a mismatch of his character and, and his past to what you're trying to call him. That's wrong. And even the, the steps following that, he's, he's called Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That's not even his worst day. He denies Jesus three times. This is no ways the rock. He's in a moment, he becomes an overt racist. has to be called out for his sin of racism by Paul. But as you follow the track record of his life, this is a man as he's renamed, he's recalled, he's got a call of God in his life. As we were preached a few weeks ago in 1 and 2 Peter, we see a man at the end of his life standing in his identity, who had called, been called to be the rock. 
And this is what we've got to get in our hearts because in our present day, Life Changes Church, Tableview, the area, is named the drug and divorce capital of our city. It's just rife. But I want to say that actually Milneton, when we went to plant a church there, we were told it's the, it's the graveyard for churches. And then in the City Bowl, where we've planted five weeks before COVID-19 and lockdown in 2020, not the ideal time to plant a church. And all the naysayers and the voice the enemy wants to say, what a silly time to plant a church. What a fail. But I want to speak to Tableview, to Milneton, to the city that actually where, they, where you see, where the enemy might see a graveyard and to say, declare unqualified, the father sees resurrection life. This is what we have to do. Rename and remember that I am called. This is what we are going for. I love it. This is illustrated best for me. I've got a little girl, Olivia Grace Phillips who turned three a few, a few months ago. And uh, uh, she's just not good at receiving pet names. I, I love pet names. I've been trying to give her one for her whole life, but she just won't stand for it. I, I'll call, I'll try with her and I'll say, hey, I've tried all of them and I'm just gonna be honest and vulnerable with you. I say, hi, sweet pea. And she looks at me and says, I'm not sweet pea. I'm Olivia Grace Phillips. And I later, hey, my little chickens. And she'll say, no, I'm Olivia Grace Phillips. And it sounds a bit quirky and a bit funny, but she is convinced, no, that is my name. Don't try and shake it. This is my name. And it came to a head where, and why I realized how powerful this was and knowing her identity, knows who she was and who she was. We were in a shop one day a few months ago while we were potty training her and uh, got to a moment in the shop where she was sitting on top of a full trolley full of groceries. And uh, in the middle of the shop, she said, oh, and she looked at her and she had, she had gone to the toilet in the trolley. And it was chaos. It was a mess. And we're in a busy aisle. And, uh, and I, d- I didn't know what to do. And, as, and as, as a man, I got a bit embarrassed because now I just think there was a big puddle under the trolley. And I, I was a bit, I, I didn't know what to do. I was at odds, if I'm honest. And I'm so grateful. My wife shouted from the, other, from the other aisle, says, don't embarrass her. So I ran up to her and I could see she was embarrassed. I could see she, she knew that this was a mistake. She had not followed what, the protocol we had set out. And I remember I sat there in the midst of a mess and I said to her, What's your name, my girl? And in that moment, she put her head down. She said, Olivia. And I said, no, what's your name? She said, Olivia Grace. I asked her a third time, no, what's your name? And she said, Olivia Grace Phillips. And I love in that moment, the, she needed the voice of the Father to speak. And I think that you and I, in the height of our unqualifiedness, the height or the depth of our embarrassment at this time maybe, or the, the showing our, understanding our frailties and knowing that we don't have the answers we thought we did, we need to hear the Father's voice saying, you are called. You are called. We need to know this in our hearts. This is massive because I want to tell you, He's seen you at your worst. He's seen you in your brokenness. And yet He still calls you son, daughter, beloved, the very righteousness of God. We need to know in this moment and become more consumed with our calling become more consumed with our calling and our future than with our circumstance and our sin. We need to become more consumed with it because that is what Jesus is. Point number one, you are called. Second thing we need to know if we're going to stand and not fall, if we're going to stand and not be bowing under the pressure. Number two is we have to know that we are empowered. You are empowered. Why don't you own that with me as well? Right now, take a moment, write it in the chat. Shout it to your person next to you at home. Shout it out your window if you need to do it. Say, I am empowered. 
We need to know this because in the story, Genesis 3, statue is built, everyone's bowing, three boys are refusing to bow. They called in almost like the headmaster's office, but 10 times worse to the, the king of the day, Nebuchadnezzar, who was wild and violent and unpredictable. And he starts having this conversation with them. And I can imagine he, he ratches up the, the volume of intimidation as he is spitting and angry in front of them. Who do you think you are in this moment? Why will you not do it? And trying to threaten them. If you do not do it, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow. If you do not, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Something that he was apparently called by historians and theologians. Something he, he loved to do. This was one of his hobbies. Throw people in the fire. So this was something they knew that was going to happen. This was not an empty threat. And as I say, intimidation was, was raised to a whole new level. I want to say in this moment that actually the same spirit is at play today. It's called the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. Now I say it again, and I say this often, that fear is a spirit. It is a demonic spirit that needs to be addressed and dealt with. In the book of Timothy, a letter that Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, many years later, he is speaking to a timid, nervous guy, and he says these words, you have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And that word fear there, sometimes it's translated, you've not been given a spirit of timidity. Another translation is, you have not been given a spirit of intimidation. Because that's what those three boys were facing, and that's what we are facing right now. The spirit of intimidation that's trying to get us to forget our calling, and forget our empowerment, and forget our future. I want to tell you that there's nothing like the spirit of fear and intimidation that will cause the gift of God to go dull or get dampened in your life. We need to sever it at its root, because if you want to know how is this at play, the symptoms of the spirit of fear are confusion, depression, hopelessness, and loss of vision. Let me say that again. It's confusion, depression, hopelessness, and loss of vision. If you are battling with one of those things, I would push you towards maybe the fact is that you are, we are dealing with the spirit of fear and spirit of intimidation. And this is what the Bible tells us, that actually we haven't been sent out to the wolves without empowering. We're not powerless to temptation. We're not just going with the flow in these moments. And I think too many people live like this. Too many people live like we are at the whims of this world, that, we are, that our, our emotions are going to be dictated by Facebook statuses, by Twitter updates, by the trends of this world, by the opinions of man. But actually our emotions are not dictated by this world. We are empowered by the spirit of the living God. And I love this in the story that actually the Bible tells us and keeps reminding us that we have been given the Spirit, to walk out the calling He's given us. He hasn't just called us to something that we're not powered to do. He's called us to it, then given us His Spirit so we can walk in it, walk in that reality. This is massive because actually in this moment, we're not just given His righteousness, we're given the double whammy of having the fullness of the Spirit of Jesus residing in us. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to temptation, to circumstance, as if the sin and circumstance are puppet master pulling us as, 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 a, as, a, as an old puppet. No, 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 no. We are, we are sons and daughters of the living God with a calling and an empowering inside of us. You see, the first strategy of the enemy is to rename you. The second one is, if, is he'll rename you, but then he'll try and sway you. As Nebuchadnezzar tried to, tried to bargain with them, sway them and intimidate these three young guys. But I love their response. Go read in Daniel 3, the significant moment where they say these words. They say, O king, we do not have to answer you in this regard. Oh, I just love it. I get fired up listening to this talk, this rhetoric that we need to get into our souls. They said, king, we don't need to answer to you. 
We serve a God that if you throw us in the fire, we serve a God who can save us. He is able to save. Secondly, we are convinced that He will save us. Not only is He able, but He will save us. And then they say something thirdly, which is so profound that we need to know. They say, and even if He does not, we will not bow to you. I love it. He can save, he will save, but even if he does not, we will not bow down to you. Why do they say this? Because I want to suggest to you that they knew the truth. They knew that idea that what you bow to, you'll end up bound to. What you bow to, you'll end up bound to. And they had already bowed their knee to another. They had already bowed their knee to another king. They were not fearful of this king's fire because they had a fire within them from another king. They would not be swayed. They would not be renamed. They would not be caught off guard in this moment. And I want to suggest to you that we do not serve a God who cowers in temples or cowers under behind the spirit of fear, but we have a God who burns within us. And he's wanting to speak to you today. Sir, ma'am, I don't know where you're watching. You are called, and secondly, you are empowered. We need to own this and know this, because this is what God is calling us to. Thirdly, and finally, in this moment, point one, you're called. Point two, you're empowered. And point three, Powerfully of all, He is with you. There's another in the fire. Why don't you write it down in the chat? Why don't you shout it out loud? Write it in a notebook. Do something with it. He is with me. Simple but powerful truth. You see in the story, Daniel chapter 3, after their response, we won't bow to you. The scriptures tell us that Nebuchadnezzar was so furious that his face distorted with rage. This guy, just he went red. He was spitting and angry. He had never seen such defiance. So he orders that the fire, the furnace of capital punishment that was there on the side, he says, actually, I don't want it just to be burning. I want it to be seven times hot. I want it to be so, so hot that actually these guys won't even survive a second in there. He's so angry. He gets the strongest men in the, in the city to come and tie them up and bound them in chains. And these guys drag them in furiously and throws them in the fire. It tells us that the fire was so hot that as they get thrown in, the men who are throwing them in die from the heat that is radiating out of the fire. It's a profound story. And I I want to just suggest at this moment that the enemy can put you in the fire, but that's where his power stops. The enemy can put you in the fire. He can put you under pressure, but that is where his power stops. The Bible in the New Testament says, rather, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Rather, fear the one who, after the body is killed, can send you to hell. Oh, I tell you, there's another one in the fire. But this is the great news in this moment because as they're thrown in the fire, the king is, thinks, I'm done with those three. But then he looks again. He looks a second time at the fire and he, and he calls his advisors and he's starting to panic because he says, didn't we throw three men bound in chains into the fire? To which they say, yes, we did. He says, why is it though, now when I look into the fire, I see three men unbound and unharmed by the fire walking around and there's a fourth man, a fourth man in the fire with them who looks like the son of the gods. First thing I just want to say is the only thing that was burnt up in the fire was the chains that bound them. The only thing that was burnt up in the fire was the chains that bound them. Sons and daughters of the living God, the fire of the enemy is not there to disqualify us, is there to qualify us, that actually the voice of Goliath was not there to stop David, was to qualify him into his calling, his future. But actually the greater news of all is who was this fourth man in the fire? Oh, I wish I could get this deep into your souls, deep into your hearts today. Who was that fourth man in the fire? 
In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our cloud by day and fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's our prophet and the like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and defender. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's a rebuilder of our broken walls. In Esther, he's our Mordecai, who stands in our place and speaks on our behalf. In Job, he's our day spring on high and the redeemer of our doubts. Oh, I wish I could tell you who the fourth man in the fire was. In Psalms, He's the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, He's our wisdom. In Song of Songs, He's the lover of our souls. In Isaiah, He's the Prince of Peace. I wanna tell you today that in, in Jeremiah, He's our righteous branch. In Lamentations, He's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, He's the man with four faces, our God of glory. In Daniel, He's the fourth man in the fire and the one who shuts the mouth of every lion. Oh, I wish I could get this deep into your heart who the fourth man in the fire was. In Hosea, He's a faithful, husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's a baptizer with Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's the one who descends into the very depths. In Micah, he's the best messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, the savior. Haggai, the restorer. In Zechariah, the fountain opened up for sin and uncleanness. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. Oh, we got to know who the fourth man in the fire is. In Matthew, he's our Messiah. In Mark, he's a miracle worker. In Luke, he's the Son of Man. In John, he's the Son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Spirit. Romans, he's our justifier. Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's the breaker and redeemer of the, from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's God of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God who meets us and supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. Oh, I I want to tell you today, we got to know this God. We got to know this fourth man in the fire. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he's our soon and returning king. In the book of Timothy, he's the mediator, the only mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a friend that's closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the covenant that opens a way so we can come to him with, with boldness and confidence. In James, he's the great physician. In Peter, he's the chief shepherd of our souls who Jude will turn with a crown of unfading glory. In, in the book of, of, of Jude, 1, 2, 3, John, he's love and the one who loves us dearly and deeply. In Jude, he's the returning king. And in, Re in Re Revelations, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is this fourth man in the fire? He's the lily of the valleys. He's the shepherd who walks us to the valley of the shadow of death. He's the one who says, though you walk through fire, you will not burn. Though you walk through the floods, you will not drown. This is who he is. He's the husband to the widow. He's the father to the fatherless. He's the comforter to the brokenhearted. He's the one who stands and speaks when you have no words. He's the one who saves you, redeems you, and heals you. He's the one who hung on the cross and took all your sins upon him. He descended into darkness, but then three days later rose forever, holding the keys of life and death in his hands. Who is the fourth man in the fire? His name is Jesus, and he is the one who stands beside you and pleads on your behalf. Oh, I wish we could know who the fourth man in the fire is. 
I wish we could know who He is today because if we know that, our lives will never be the same. It's He who calls us. It's He who empowers us. And it's He who walks and stands beside us. I want to say this today, sir, man, we've got a decision to make to respond one way or the other. Either we will bow to the spirit of this world or we'll bow to the Savior of this world. It's, there's no neutral ground. We Today, choose whom you will serve. Today, choose who you'll bow to. What you bow to, you'll end up bound to. And we have to choose that we will bow to Him and bound and tether our wandering hearts to Him alone. Daniel chapter 3 verse 29 ends with Nebuchadnezzar rescuing them out of the fire, calling them out and throwing himself down before them and saying this statement. He says this, a wicked king declaring an ultimate truth about our God, our fourth man in the fire. He says, there is no other God who can rescue like this. And I pray if you've heard nothing else I said, hear this, sir, ma'am. There is no other God like Jesus. There's no other God like the fourth man in the fire who can rescue like this. I want to tell you today as we land, you are called, you are empowered, and He is with you. We got to get this in our hearts because this is who the fourth man in the fire is. There's another in the fire and He is with you. This is amazing because as we get this in our hearts, a resoluteness gets inside of us, a deep trust that no matter what falls in front of us, no matter what situation comes our way, we know that He can save. We know that He will save. And we know that even if He does not, we will not bow. Oh, I love this truth. Today, in this moment, I want to call us to respond. We got to respond to this Jesus, to this fourth man of fire. And I really know that there's people watching this today who've never made a decision of faith for Jesus. You've maybe uh, dabbled with religion. You've maybe had one foot in, in, the, in the world and one foot trying to follow Jesus. But today is a day for demanding, for, for decision making, to bow your knees before Him and Him alone. So if you're watching on LifeChangesChurch.tv, why don't you click that now? Give your life to Jesus now. We've got teams of people waiting to pray for you. If you're on Facebook Live, why don't you text the number there? Why don't you send us a message? Whatever you need to do, reach out so that we can stand with you in faith as you put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. But I'm gonna ask all of us, no matter where you find yourself, if you today, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, I don't care. But in this moment, we need to take hold of this faith and respond to Jesus in worship and reverence and throw our lives before Him. Why don't you get off your couch, get out of your bed, get off the seat you're sitting on, wherever you're watching this right now. And I ask us, why don't we bow? Why don't we get on our knees before our King as we pray to Him and say, what we bow to, we'll end up bound to. And because of that, we're binding our hearts to you and you alone, Jesus. So why don't we pray? Respond to Him, get off your seat, get on your knees, let's pray together. Father, I thank You. Right now as we respond in this moment, I thank You that the Word from our Heavenly Father would reach every heart. The voice of the Father would speak into shame, into sin, into embarrassment, into failure, into unqualified hearts. You would declare, You are called into fearful, nervous, apprehensive, with no answers, a people who are maybe not too sure of what the way forward is. You will declare into our hearts, you are empowered. Pour your spirit, shed it deep in our hearts. We rebuke the spirit of fear and we welcome in the spirit of love, power and a sound mind. The spirit of the living God and ultimately Father, I thank you 
in the midst of our fires, in the midst of our temptations and our circumstances, our agonies, our sicknesses, our, our financial chaos, the burdens we are bearing, the emotional instability, the fires that are raging, we thank you that the fourth man of fire is with us. Right now, as we bow, we say, Jesus, you are our king and we shall have no other king besides you. And as we do this, I'm gonna to count to three and as I do that, why don't you lift your hands with me? One, you are called. Two, you are empowered. Three, He is with you. Lift your hands, respond to Him, click a link, do whatever you need to do as you and I surrender our hearts to Jesus, the another in the fire, as we respond to Him. We give you our lives afresh, Jesus. And in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. What amazing privilege to be able to preach with you to stir our hearts and our affections for Jesus. Why don't we worship Him one more time as we give Him all our love, all our devotion, and put our future in Him. God bless you.